really just felt like the Lord wants to this morning strip away all professional Christianity and uh, get back to what being a Christian is really about. And I feel like for some of you this morning as I share uh, the heart of being a follower of Christ, it, it, it might, uh, what's the word, it might uh, destabilize you a little bit because you might not have heard our faith being described in these kind of terms, but it's a good thing because God wants to bring you to the heart of what it means to be a child of God. And for some of us who've been a Christian for a really long time, this might also destabilize you a little bit, but in a good way because he wants to bring you back to what it truly means to be a Christian. And quite simply, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. I want to actually read that scripture. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? It's such a surprising commandment of all the things he could have said. He said in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with, there's a lot of alls, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. Isn't it amazing that the God, the creator of the whole universe, he says, this is the most important thing. Love me. (laughs) Love me with all your heart, with all of your soul. And I, I really believe the Lord this morning wants to remind us of the simplicity and the beauty of what it means to be a Christian. It starts with love and it ends with love and it's defined by love all the way through. And I have been a Christian for far too long. <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek. If you're new here, sometimes I do say things tongue-in-cheek. I've been saved for a very long time. My parents were missionaries. My parents were pastors. I was raised in the church. I basically, my earliest memories were sleeping in the church as a child and sleep, going to prayer meetings when I was like three months old. I was, it, there is a grave danger for me of becoming a professional Christian. And I never want to become a professional Christian. You don't find professional Christians in the Bible. What you find are people who have been wrecked by the love of Jesus. Wrecked by the love of Jesus. And I'm still recovering from my first experience of Jesus. He wrecked me. He ruined me. And I'm still ruined. And And I want to stay ruined for Jesus. And I believe God wants you to stay ruined. For Jesus, to love him with all your heart. And there's a, a story of a man, he's one of my heroes, but mostly he's one of my heroes because I identify with his story so much. His name is John Wesley. And he was a professional Christian, just like I was. And he actually was a missionary from the UK, and he went, we actually have some guests from the UK this morning, so you'll know who I'm talking about. John Wesley had a massive impact in the UK. But he went to be a missionary in the U.S., actually to the Native Americans, who had obviously just never heard of Jesus before. And he was a pastor, he was a full-time pastor, he spent his hours and his days preaching the gospel to the Native Americans. And then on the way home in the boat, his, mission, his ministry was a complete failure. He left in shame. Literally, they, they, I think they actually kicked him out. It was, so, it was very bad. Uh, on his way home, he was with some real missionaries who had a different experience of Jesus than he did. And there was a storm and they almost died and they were worshipping in the middle of the storm. 
And he realized they have something that I don't have. And it started to sow some big cracks into his foundation. He realized there's something missing. I have all the theory, but I don't have what they have. And that was me. Anyway, I'm not going to make jump to my story too quickly. Anyway, so he got home and he went to a Bible study. And they were going through the book of Romans. And this is what he said. He's, this is what he wrote in his personal journal. He says, about a quarter, after, a quarter before nine, while the preacher was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith, I felt my heart being strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And so he got saved. <laughs> After being a missionary in the U.S. And that's, that happened to me too. Uh, I got saved and I was like, oh, I actually thought I was saved. But until the Lord... Until the Lord secretly, sneakily creeps into your heart with love for Jesus. Genuine, heartfelt, I'm ruined for everything else kind of love. You're still on the way to being saved. Does that make sense? And there's nothing wrong with being on the way to being saved, by the way. It's a crucial part of the journey. But until Jesus has totally captured your heart, you are on the way to being saved. And um, I, I really feel like for us as a congregation, the Lord wants to bring us back to a wholehearted passion and love and affection and that sense of being ruined by the presence of Jesus. Amen? I love what he was saying there, that he's my, Jesus became my Savior. There's that assurance that the Holy Spirit brings. He's my Lord. He's my shepherd. In, in the Song of Songs, it's a beautiful line which says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in our hearts and I can say, Jesus is mine. He's my love and I am his. And we belong to each other. And yes, I go to church, and yes, I have friends in the church, and yes, I go to community on Wednesday, and yes, I praise Jesus on Sunday, but he's mine. And, and, and if, if everything gets taken away from me, my job, my family, my dreams, no one's going to take my Jesus from me. Amen? No one's going to take my Jesus. He's mine. I'm his. He's, he's, he's got me. He's got my heart. He's ruined me for everything else. And until Jesus has ruined you, completely ruined you for anything else in this world, you are on the way to being saved. Amen? Does that make sense? There's this common theme through all the disciples of being ruined by Jesus. They would say things like this. Jesus offended his disciples, all of them, in one go. And a lot of people left. And in John 6, verse 67, Jesus turned to his own 12 disciples and said, Are you going to go away as well? 
And this is what they said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. God has, God has offended me many times. And he will offend you. And when he does, he'll ask you the same question. Are you also going to leave? And my response has been time and time again, Lord, look, I'm upset. I'm offended. But where am I going to go? You've captured my heart. You've ruined me. You've ruined me for anything else. Does that make sense? This is not extreme Christianity. This is normal Christianity. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is the way that Paul described it in Philippians 3 verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I, am, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's extreme language, but it's normal language in the kingdom. Jesus has become my all in all. And, and I, I think I was, I was listening to somebody's testimony yesterday on my long drive to Stellenbosch to attend a celebration. And a guy was sharing his testimony of, he, of, him, of himself from an atheist family searching for the Lord, searching for the Lord, searching for the, the Lord. And this overly Christian girl in his school said to him, Jesus loves you. And he was a very intellectual guy, still is, one of the most smartest people I've ever met. And he was ruined. He was like, what does that mean? It was so offensive. Then he went away and he sought the Lord. He's like, what? Why, does, why does this impact me so much? And he found the love of God by the Spirit. The Spirit has got this way of making known to me here, I am loved by my Heavenly Father. It's not here, it's here. I am loved. And he was absolutely ruined. And he just started singing and rejoicing and dancing. And, he, and immediately as he got saved, he knew his whole life has changed. He said, what I have found, I have to share it for the rest of my life. And that's what he did. And he's been doing that for the rest of his life. But there is something that wrecked me also. I have the same story. When I was in my troubled teens, I lost my faith and I doubted everything and I, my foundations of my faith were absolutely rocked. And I, had, I, I was like, I, I can't do this Christian thing anymore. I, I, I don't believe in this God anymore. So I made a list of things that I would like to do in my life. I'm, I'm quite an intentional guy like that. So I like literally had a piece of paper with all the things on it that I would potentially like to do with my life. And as I was going through this list, I, was, I, I just cracked because I realized these are all cool things, but I can't live for this. Yeah, they're cool things, but I, I can't spend my life doing these things. They give me joy, but not that much joy. And something was crushed in my soul because I felt like I didn't have God and I didn't have anything. And I felt this huge, empty, black void. And it, was, it absolutely crushed me. And I, I used to have a, a bottle of a vodka hidden behind my clothes in my good Christian home. And every time 
the sadness got too much, I'd go and take the bottle out and drink it straight from the bottle to try and numb the, the pain. That's what I would do. And when Jesus started revealing his love to me, to me, it absolutely ruined me. And it still does. It absolutely ruins me. And, and, and I had the same experience, like, Lord, this is joy. This is pure joy. This is, this is more precious than anything in the world. And I realized the same thing as this other guy said. I, I realized this is, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. This is, this is it. And it's what I've been doing for the rest of my life. And my question to you is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the joy that you found? What are you going to do with the love of the Father that you've experienced? Are you going to go on doing what you were planning on doing before? I hope not. You can't. How can we keep this precious treasure to ourselves? It, it's sacrilege. I mean, to even think of it is offensive. And as you read the story of the first disciples... The one was a fisherman and he's involved in his dad's business and they were fishing and Jesus came and he found them. Well, that was the end of that business. They just left the boats, just there on the ocean. <laughs> we don't even know what happened to those boats. <laughs> so, Matthew was a tax collector making lots of money. Jesus called him, left his table, left all the money right there on the table and just left it there. Paul he was studying, was upwardly mobile in the religious world. He was becoming someone very prominent in the religious community. He had a big career ahead of him. Jesus encountered him. That was the end of it. Gone. When Jesus encountered me, I was training and I was planning to be a lawyer and make it big and make lots and lots and lots and lots of money. That was my plan. Jesus' love wrecked me. I ended up becoming a school teacher and now I'm a pastor. My question to you is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the love that you found? Are you going to stay the same? Or is it going to define the rest of your entire life? I hope it does. It's too precious to do anything else with it. Is there something better to be doing here on earth, making money? Can't take any of it with, 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 with us when we go. This is not... Radical Christianity, this is normal Christianity. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. All of it. He wrecks us. Nothing less will do. From Jesus' perspective, if you're juggling different loves in your heart, he'd rather you don't follow him. Did you know that? Maybe you can put it up in Revelation, chapter 3, verse 15. Got it? This was a church that was struggling with the love of money. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. We got, if you just got that one, I'll read the rest. He speaks about them being lukewarm. 
And he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And the point that he's making there is that when you're cold, you love the world, right? When you're hot, you love Jesus. And he's saying, well, you're lukewarm. You, you're kind of both. And he, Now, who of you, like on a very, very hot day or a very, very cold day, like if it's a hot day, you want something cold to drink, right? To refresh you, to cool you off. If it's a really cold day, then you want something really hot to drink to warm you up. But lukewarm water, what are you going to do with that? It's not going to refresh you or warm you up. It's just like, it's useless. And you get that picture of like, oh man, I was wanting a refreshing drink. This is lukewarm. It's horrible. And Jesus says, if you're loving me and you're loving the world, it's like, just pick one. Go love the world if you want to love the world or love me, but don't, don't. Try and do both. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, If anyone come to me, this is very strong language, I'll explain it, but I want to just read it first. If anyone come to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, he cannot be my disciple think, well, that, that's strange language. It's not literal language. It doesn't expect you to hate your parents. and your family. But he's saying that our love for Christ is so all-consuming, it makes everything else pale into insignificance. And you are saying, if your love for him isn't that all-consuming, you're not yet a disciple of Christ. You may still be on the way, but you're not yet a disciple of Christ. I want to read a quotation for you. This is for the older Christians among us. This is for me and for you if, you if you've been a Christian for a while and you're in danger of growing cold. It's a quotation from Charles Spurgeon. He says, If the heart grows cold, everything will be coldly done. When love declines... What cold preaching we have. All moonlight, light without heat, polished like marble and just as cold. What cold singing we get. Pretty music made by pipes and wind. But how, but, but how little soul song. How little singing in the Holy Ghost and making melody in the heart unto God. And what poor praying? Do you call it praying? What little giving when the heart is cold? The hands can find nothing in the wallet and in Christ's church and Christ's poor and the unbelievers may perish for we need gather up for ourselves and live to grow rich. He says, Is there anything that goes on as it should when the love grows cold? My experience as a Christian is that sometimes our hearts start on fire for Jesus, passionate for Jesus, wrecked by the love of Jesus. And you do the Christian things and you go like the blazes. And then somewhere along the way, you, you realize my heart's affections snuck off somewhere. <laughs> I thought they were there. I thought my heart was in it, but my heart's affections snuck off. 
And they're not in it anymore. My heart's not in it anymore. And I have to pause and say, Lord, where did my, where did my heart go? I'm still doing all the things. But my heart's affections are not in it anymore. Sorry, Lord. And I have to stop the whole bus because if you carry on doing the, all the things, but your heart's not in it, you will burn out. You will become jaded and cynical and critical. And you'll blame everybody else. But the true problem is in your heart. And it happens quicker than you think. And so I want to encourage you. The Bible says, above all else, guard your heart. It's in Proverbs. Guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. Everything that you do flows from it. Our faith, friends, is a heart faith. It's a heartfelt faith. Without the heart, it isn't true religion. It's works, it's dead, it's duty. And it'll kill you. The very religion that saves us will, will kill you if your heart is no longer in it. And so just like what Paul was saying earlier, yes, love and faith and all these good things come by the preaching of the word, but it's by the Spirit's power. The Spirit has got the way of birthing love in our hearts and it pops out of nowhere. And suddenly you're thinking, I love Jesus. I don't even know why, but I do. I love him. The Spirit comes upon me. He stirs my heart and I love him. I don't know why. I just do. I do know why, but I also don't know why. You know what I'm saying? I know I I love him because he loved me first, but I've never seen him. I've never seen Jesus, but I love him. It's a mysterious thing because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, and he stirs my heart again and again. But when I'm dry, when the love's gone, don't just carry on going. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. You can't do this Christian thing with all, without your heart being fully wrecked and ruined and in love for Jesus. I want to just close by saying this. The Bible says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. That means if there's offense in your heart, deal with it. If, it's offense, if you're offended with God, deal with it. If you're offended with people, deal with it. If your heart is jaded and cynical and you've put your walls up, you'll grow isolated from the Lord. You won't experience His affection. You won't experience His love. You won't experience His spirit. The well will dry up. And you won't be able to go on. Beware of distraction. Beware of distraction. Distraction are the good things of this life. The blessings of this life. Most of them. Some of them are just sinful. <laughs> but, but oftentimes they're good things. That steal our hearts away. They are good things that became God things. They replaced our love for God. And it happens quicker than you think. And so sometimes I'll be like, Lord, what happened to my love? What happened to my love? And you'll say, this thing, you love it too much. You need to lay it down. And then there's a wrestle in, in my heart. And I want to say, I'm closing now. If you, if you are hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, what on earth are you talking about? I thought I was a Christian until you just preached. I want to say to you that Jesus will come and he will stir your heart with love for him. 
He will stir your heart with love for him. And then Satan will say, well, but, but what about this thing? You won't be able to, to do both. Every time I'm baptizing people in water, if I've got 10 people, there'll be 10 questions about, does that mean now that I'm a Christian, do I have to, do, do I have to, let, do I have to break up with my boyfriend? Do I, do, I have to, do I have to quit my job? Do I have to, the, and uh, for the rich young ruler, Jesus said, yeah, you'll have to go and sell all you have and then come follow me. And he wasn't willing to pay that price. But I want to encourage you, man. There's nothing more precious than Jesus. Anything that pretends to be more precious than Jesus is pretending. It won't satisfy. There's nothing that satisfies like the love of Jesus. will. No relationship, no job, no career, no passion projects, no sports and hobbies. There's nothing. There's nothing that will compete with the joy and the satisfaction and the righteousness and love that comes from Christ. Let's pray.